0: Before we start the episode, we would like to take a moment of silence in remembrance of the lives of Jalen Ferguson and Tony Saragusa, both beloved members of the flock who passed away much too soon. Well, welcome back to One Winning Pod. It's been a very eventful and in the sad way a couple of days weeks whatever it's been since the last time we recorded I remember waking up to the news of the passing of Jalen and then seeing the news of goose and just all the bad news of the day really you know hit you hit you hard these young men younger than us uh, for Jalen and the goose you know younger than maybe a lot of people's parents who maybe listen to the show or or even themselves right like it's just so sad to see um this happen and uh crazy in particular with goose like he seemed so full of life and just like his normal self less than a month ago at the uh celebration that me and chris went to of the 20-year anniversary of the super bowl win and, and just just truly truly shocking
1: yeah it was uh Bizarre day. There's really no other way to describe it. I didn't really know what to think when <laughs> we saw the news about Jalen Ferguson and, and then with Goose later. You know, so many have said so much that I really don't know if I have anything else to add. But, um, you know, it just goes to show how this fan base uh, and fandom in general is more than just about football. You know, we don't actually know these guys, but. We see them play. We hear their stories. You know, they have an impact on the community that they're adopted into. Goose definitely had a big impact on the Baltimore community. Jalen, I'm not as familiar if if he did anything or not. Um, But whether or not he did, he was primed. It looked like, you know, he was at least getting ready for a big season. Might have finally had his his, um, place on this team. But, you know, in both those things, it's just... Yeah, take every every day that you got as a blessing. It's just a sad reminder of that. And, you know, we send prayers, well wishes, thoughts, whatever you, you know, anyone sends in that situation to their families and just it's all you can do.
2: Yeah, with Jalen, I think the, yeah, it's just such a shame, man. I mean, it just reminds you of, uh, you know, Trey Walker and that similar thing. Mm-hmm with the Ravens I mean I think he was only around the team for a year and uh the impact that he had uh, you know on the team for that one year I think was huge uh yeah I mean you know definitely all sympathies to the family uh the family of both those guys To so the um yeah it's just really sad I mean you said it well Peter that football is more than family here it's uh it's a big deal so um yeah we uh we wish the family's the best
0: both of those players played on the defensive side of the ball, which is the topic of today's show. We wanted to kind of talk about how the Ravens were able to create a culture of dominance in defense and continue it through various generations and eras and kind of how they did it, what uh, you know, pieces of the puzzle are needed and like kinda of how how we got here.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we look at the twenty twenty two season that's coming up, the Ravens are going to have a new defensive coordinator, a guy who's obviously been with the franchise for in the past for a bit, uh, spent one season in Michigan and then came right back here. And, you know, there's a lot of optimism, I think, among the fan base uh, f- from what the way I see it, at least, that, you know, this is going to be a good move for the Ravens and that they're going to continue to pick up right where they've been uh, with pretty much every defensive coordinator has been a success for this team. And you look back at it, the culture of defensive dominance that this team has had since 1998, over two decades where they've really been a a top echelon defense. Sure, there's been down years here and there. More often than not, that's been due to injury. So I think what we're going to do this episode is just kind of look at how has this team been able to play at this high level on this side of the ball for so long uh, and just take a deep dive into it because we've kind of just expected great defense with this team because of all the seasons that they've had doing it. But you know, when you step back and look at it, it's a good amount of success over a, almost almost a quarter century. That's pretty impressive at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I think I think the big thing for me, and it's like it's it's almost it's almost
2: overstated a little bit, but I, I do. I put a lot of stock in just like the the like you know founding culture right of um you know in 98 from 98 to 2000 or you know 2001 um you know i think the ravens really kind of struck gold you had so many good defensive players that were you know drafted by the ravens brought in by the ravens as free agents uh you know you just really had a team that kind of you had the right people in place and you had, you know, you kind of like fostered the right mindset. Right. And I think Ray and a, you know a lot of the guys I think talked about it actually at the 2000 celebration too, where, you know, there was, I think, I think it was Ray who said something about how, you know, they knew they, they kind of had the right players in house, but they didn't really like unlock the mindset that like, Oh, like if we, you know, do some things a little bit differently, like we could be, like a defense to remember. Right. Um, But I I think as a whole, like, I I really think, I really think that if you have, you know, that sort of group of people, you know, especially at the start of, of something new, some new organization, I think that really does help set the culture of excellence beyond. I mean, think about it, like, you know, at least in, you know, my work, you know, I am work at a startup and the, one of the big things for startup is is culture, right? Especially, you know, if we're talking like, you know, I'm, I'm in like a tech startup culture. And one of the things that's like always talked about is the, the founding team of like having good people in place. Because, you know, when you go from, you know, five people, 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, those founding members are really kind of like the the people who establish the culture of you know how are you going to do certain things like what are your values um you know how you know what sort of things you know do you you know you like to spend you know more time on versus other things and you know that influences who else you bring on and and how they sort of you know include themselves in the fold right and i think that that is you know applied across everything um but but i do really think you know in terms of like the ravens culture of like that was a big I mean, that was a big deal. You know, the Ravens being a new franchise at that point didn't really have any identity. That group of people from '98 to 2001 that really defined the identity from
1: all the years to come. I like that analogy that you put in there with you know the the startup analogy because I mean, even though the Ravens weren't an expansion team, they did still have to relocate, and you know, you're at that point you're in a new city, you have to connect with a new fan base. Sure, the personnel is is pretty similar coming over, but you know the Ravens did make a coaching change. Infamously, Bill Belichick was not brought in as the head coach. They went with Ted Marchibroda to start with, and then after he didn't work there, was Brian Billick. But you know, I never really thought about it in the that lens. But you do bring up an excellent point in that sense. Um, sure, it took them two seasons, but that's really <laughs> nothing. Uh, in the scale of the NFL, um, say you know ninety eight through two thousand one, really was the Ravens finding what their identity was as the Baltimore Ravens, and yeah, it really does go back to to Ray Lewis at the core, and you know not just him, but just the guys who bought into to that philosophy that that um, you know hard nosed, intimidating. Defense that didn't care how few points the offense scored, they were always going to make sure that that the other team would score even less, um, as much as possible. And yeah, that's a really that's an excellent parallel to to it that um, I hadn't really thought about, but I totally agree with what you're saying there.
0: Yeah, it was all about these players, right? Right at the beginning, these uh, players kind of set the tone. Um, you got. Ray Lewis, Boulware, McAllister, Starks, they were all there uh, for that opening run. And then you also had the mercenaries, you know, you had McCrary, Rod Woodson, Tony Saracusa, like they created the culture and um, it kind of just persisted. There was always somebody from that group that was around, you know, and then the next group and, and so on and so forth. There was always some sort of continuity. And I think the other thing to point out is the continuity in ownership And overall leadership, when um, Bashadi bought the team, famously, he didn't fire anybody during the transition. He really loved all the people that Art Modell had in place. And I think that's another kind of point is even all the way at the top, organizationally, just a belief in what they were doing and trying to maintain continuity. I mean, we have so many people in that building, Dick Cass, for instance, who just retired, that have been there since the start. And they haven't left, you know, and it—it's wild how uncommon that is, not only in industry but in sports. So that's just a really
1: uh, important piece as well. Yeah, I think you're referencing that uh, interview that um, Steve just did with uh, with Marlin, right, on Studio Forty Four. Yep. yep, that was a really good interview. If, if listeners haven't checked that out, um, highly recommend. We don't get to hear much from Steve Bisotti, but really well done interview and and for as eclectic as a guy Marlon is you got he 's done a great job on that show <laughs> and you know an, another thing that Bashati said in that interview he was talking about how what his relationship is with the team and explained how you know in his his domain in the business world when he was starting Aerotech, I believe it was. You know, he was always taking the reins in that because that was his domain. He knew all the ins and outs. But when he took over the Ravens, he stayed in his lane, for lack of a better term. He understood that despite the fact that he had that all that knowledge, all that pedigree in his field, he understood that the people that he was now employing were so far ahead of where he was as far as football knowledge was concerned in that domain, that it was basically pointless for him to try and, and catch up and try and override those people, which makes logical sense if you think about it. But as we know, that's that's not always how people in that position would think. And I think you got to give him a lot of credit for that uh, to, for him to see, okay, what's working. Let me not, let me not mess with that. And let me figure out how I continue to foster that. And, you know we certainly know that there are sports owners who get in the way of the football people and um you know not to mention you know maybe it might be you know a certain team that might also play in maryland that's had three different names over the past five years um but (laughs) (laughs) uh but it was wanted for
2: a subpoena at this point yeah yeah anyways <laughs> yeah no or, or no but he also but, uh, but realistically though but you could also have the owner you know like um shaz khan i think is a good example of like you know he's not necessarily as hands-on but there is an element i think of you know hiring the right people to be able to trust right urban meyer was not that guy and i'm not this isn't like uh you know i called it like (laughs) kind of situation but it was it was more of just like yeah in hindsight that was not the right hire to to uh you know to put your trust in and then say like you know it's your job absolutely not the right call uh so there i mean there is an element of you know knowing when to step in but also like you know i guess knowing what you have and you know bringing in people who you think are going to add you know value to organization and then you know having then building the culture around them to supporting them right and giving them the continuity i mean that's that's why people around the league i mean refer to the ravens Steelers, you know patriots a lot of these teams that you know you've had coaches for over 10 years uh, that's because they have organizations that are so you know well built up and they have a culture of what they want to do and it's you know you know, sure, you know, maybe we're Ravens haven't won a Super Bowl, you know, every single year. They've only won two in the last 20. That's, that's a good number, but it's not the Patriots. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we could have had more, but on the grand scheme of things, like, that's really all you want. You know, you want to have success and you want to bring your fan base in. You want them to get excited about what you're doing. And, uh, well, like you talked about at the top, too, there's also. You know, there's there's something to be said about having, you know, a team and a community that supports the team and no matter what, they just, they buy into the players, they buy into the culture, they buy into the stories. Like, that's something special. You know, not a lot of teams do that.
0: I do think it's kind of impressive too when you look at the years, right? So obviously, you had Ray Lewis from the very beginning in 1996 all the way through the 2012 season. The team then continues from there on out to actually have pretty darn good defense like it didn't really fall off uh and some years were a little bit better after that in a league that became more and more you know high scoring and pass happy um and like how did they do that well i think it was the constant turnover as well of talent reinvestment in high profile players so you had nada come in halfway through that experience you had um Terrell Suggs carrying on the mantle Jimmy Smith Webb I think all those players were really key um kind of baton passers to the next generation and I mean these are not luck picks these were high draft picks you know like we're going ahead and we're taking a guy that is you know, at the very top of the draft, one of the best players that we can get. Uh, we're not up there often. You know, Suggs was one of those players. High draft pick. We're not up there often. Nada was a high one. I mean, they they constantly, when they had the opportunity to, at a high draft pick, almost always go defense. And they continued this year, which I think is important to talk about with Hamilton.
1: Yeah, definitely. They, the hit rate that they had on defensive players in, in the first 14 seasons, I want to say, that their franchise is is just incredible. <laughs> if, over that time to get Ray Lewis, Peter Bulware, Chris McAllister, Dwayne Starks, Ed Reed, Haloti, at Terrell Sox, that's that's incredible. That's so many good players. That's an understatement. Those are all, all pro caliber players that they were able to draft and they hit on all those guys. And you know at that point it's not luck it's it's scouting it's you know the coaches really know what they want who's going to fit the culture um who's going to buy in and you know i maybe i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here but but you did bring up hamilton i think it is interesting you know you look at that because around 2010 or so they did drop off a bit in that you know they drafted guys like courtney upshaw uh matt elam who in the world was that guy from Kansas State who was supposed to uh, Arthur well, Brown? Was Arthur Brown. Arthur Brown. Couldn't even remember it? the guys I didn't say guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: well,
2: Sergio Kindle is kind of in yeah. there, although he was slightly different situation. Right.
0: There was definitely a doldrums of the draft for us. Yeah.
1: Undeniable. But they were able to, to rebound. I mean, got after around 2016 uh, or 2017. Sorry, Marlon Humphrey, um, Adafe Owe, Matt Judon. They they came back and. You know, from 2010 to 2016, you could kind of make the argument, okay, maybe the defense wasn't quite the Ravens' defense. They were still pretty good, but they were never quite at that level that they were. But then once 2018 came, that defense was back to, uh, I don't know if I'd quite say they were all the way up to dominance of like a 2000 or 2006, but 2018 and 2019, excellent defensive years for the Ravens. Uh, 2020 had its had some bad spots early on, but they really turned it up at the end of the season. Um to so see see them get back there, especially after Ray, Ed, and Terrell have all left. Huge you know, very promising for for the future that this team can continue that defensive tradition even after all those guys that we were talking about uh have moved on. There was an interesting
0: point too with the draft where I felt like the baton was was you know a hot potato. Like there wasn't really That continuity player, um I would say maybe you could say it was Mosley. But like there was definitely a period of time where they were a little bit in the wilderness as far as having a star player, um kind of in the prime of their career. I think they've had they had some maybe like, you know, Suggs was still there, but he wasn't like truly in his prime anymore. Um things like that. But they did bring in guys like Eric Weddle at that time, so you know, maybe that's kind of how they balanced it out. They had a little bit more like him, Tony Jefferson. Uh, maybe they, those were the players that helped, uh, kind of bringing outside experience and tradition, but also knowing what the Ravens have been all about. Um, it's just interesting. I think the team has gone through so many different iterations and I, I'm glad you brought up away as well, because I think that was another, even though he wasn't a high pick. I mean, it was a first round pick, but it was 31. We've seen how much he's electrified our, uh, pass rush and how he can be that next huge impact player
2: you know it's funny that you guys kind of brought it up i mean yeah i mean obviously you know the the organization isn't infallible there are always going to be some missteps of you know not drafting the right player bringing somebody in you know that maybe wasn't a great fit earl thomas you know being a great example of worked out fine 2019 2020 he was gone um but that being said you know i think the you know the one thing i was kind of just realizing as we were talking about this is that um you know i know you know around the league when the cardinals decided to um give up on rosen after a year and then go ahead and draft kyler murray at one the following year um you know i think a lot of people probably praise that trade and say like you know if you have the one overall like go get you know go get the best quarterback available like no you know doesn't matter what you did last year like that's it's a no-brainer kind of situation i was i kind of want to say the ravens have been you know at least especially on defense it's like they've they've also sort of had that mindset so i mean i think arthur brown was a great example of you know uh drafted 2013 2014 who the ravens pick up in the first round cj mosley you know and while brown did stick around for a while you know i'd like to think that the ravens kind of you know entered that situation of you know, in 2013, you have your two cornerstone players of R- Ray Lewis and Ed Reed leave at the same time. I can see how that would be a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction of, you know, oh, we have, like, suddenly have a need at two positions that we have not had a need for in a very long time. And, you know, or even Stride, Ozzy tried, to, to fill those gaps with those guys, mixed results. But I think the the key of, like, a good organization, too, is, like, okay, realizing, you know, all right, We want to have an organization that supports the players and coaches and, you know, gives them free reign to kind of do what they want to do, but also be realistic about the situation of like, you know, maybe they saw at that time, you know what, maybe, you know, we didn't see year one what we thought we might see. Maybe we should, you know, have a little bit more of a contingency contingency plan or maybe we should, you know. Hey, look, we're gonna have the same need this year. We, you know, don't have needs in other areas. Let's go spend another pick. Let's, you know, let's do the double dip, right? That's what DaCosta, we're praising DeCosta for of doing the double dip in these drafts, right? Let's go back and let's take a CJ Mosley. Let's bring in some free agents that kinda help um you know, kinda help fill these needs. While also, you know, I mean it, it didn't end up working out with those players, but you know, in other situations it can be helpful to bring in a free agent uh to kind of, you know, hold down uh, a position while they're you know helping out one of these other young guys to kind of develop right. Sometimes it just takes them a little bit longer. Tyus Bowser being a great example of like it took him a while to be able to to finally become a starter, but now you know he's a pretty good quality player. So uh, you know I think that's also part of it too of of being an organization that that realizes just like you know we we need to make sure that we have the you know we're not just cutting people after a year because they're not you know up to this high bar no, like we can, you know, we can still develop them, but bring in guys to, you know, also kind of help them along and not put the team in a bad spot.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting how they drafted Matt Elam and Arthur Brown, uh, immediately after the retirement, you know, definitely, like you said, addressing, uh, those players and, and probably two of the worst draft picks (laughs) of that era, just maybe kind of going for need. I do want to point out, I called it the Ray Lewis effect. So when you have this iconic player who's now like cast into a statue, right? <laughs> they clearly wanted to maintain this middle linebacker excellence. So they, they went with, with uh, Brown. He didn't do anything. They, they drafted Mosley and he was pretty good. And now they drafted Queen, right? Like they, they kind of went back to the well. They lost Mosley and they immediately were like, well, we got to go get ourselves a, a middle linebacker. And um I, I feel like that's one of the the bad quote unquote side effects of of the whole experience with with Ray is like now there's always this desire to maintain like the middle linebacker excellence, which has resulted in some of their worst picks. <laughs> you know what I mean like and obviously we hope Queen can turn it around and really become uh, a really consistent star player but I think it's I think it's just kind of interesting how he left such a big whole just in all aspects of the identity of the team at the Ravens have been kind of focused on it even though they probably are like don't want to think that way but I think deep down there's still a little bit of that
1: yeah I think it's just inevitable like you're saying you had a player of that caliber who was the foundation of essentially the way your franchise plays football the the, the defensive style that they had the swagger uh the intimidation just the 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 will to go out there and stop the offense as much as needed uh, so that it doesn't matter what your own offense does and I mean yeah I I think that you're right on the the ball there with I think it's impossible for that to not be subconscious within that organization as we said it's mostly the same people and the people that are different have been handpicked by the people who are still there so that's got to be in the collective subconscious of of who's there, even if, as we've said before, the league has kind of moved on from that type of player. And I think, you know, to give the Ravens some credit, they have realized that to an extent. You know, Mosley, there, there were some linebackers, you know, maybe like a Patrick Willis, um, who were more of a throwback uh, in the time when when Mosley was on the team. Um, I think Mosley was a little more athletic than a guy like that. Um, and I mean, Queen, Queen he has the physical skills to be uh, a linebacker that can thrive uh, in today's NFL. He just needs a little more coaching and I think a little more seasoning. And we'll just see if, if there's enough time for him to blossom into the player that his athleticism gives him the potential to be. I agree with what you're saying, but I do think we need to give the Ravens a little bit of credit here that they are searching for the linebacker of 2022 uh, or the linebacker that will fit the modern NFL. Um, but maybe they've forced it a little bit when they should have, they should have waited for the correct player.
2: Yeah. I, I think the, the other thing to kind of keep in mind too, and you know, we've been talking a lot about players, but I mean the other kind of you know realization is that there are a lot of defensive coaches that have come through in the last 20 years. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking about like, you know, let's just talk about, um, you know, the queen, you know, middle linebacker post race situation. Right. Um, I mean, one of the other things I think is, you know, a mark of a good organization too, is, you know, exactly. I think with what happened with Wink this year of, you know, the Ravens kind of realized, you know, again, this is me speculating here, but you know, I, I would think that the Ravens sort of realized like, Hey, you know. Wink's scheme has been has done a lot of good things for us 2019 was was awesome what Wink was able to do uh, especially masking the lack of depth in the middle linebacker room in 2019 and having a awesome defense leaning in on an amazing secondary was great like he did some really good things but you know as the years kind of went on 2021 now you know I don't want to say people have figured it out but that year was not as successful due to other reasons right um and i think you know obviously it was mutual i think everybody's kind of reported that you know wink also from his perspective wanted to show that he could reproduce this on another team and be successful because that would help him get his head coaching job which he wants and you know he you know should deserve but uh you know having the the realization that you know even though we kind of have a good thing And again, like we, you know, the Ravens want to have this continuity that, you know, they don't want to have all of this turnover and, you know, risk bringing in the wrong people into, you know, situations that could derail some of this stuff. They realize that, you know, okay, it was time to make a change. And, you know, I think, you know, we're all hoping for kind of McDonald, you know, being this guy that can really help players like Queen. Uh, get a lot more out of of, of those type of players, um, especially I think with McDonald. I think you know he's worked with you know Queen the whole time, basically, um, and so you know I, I think the them being willing to try and, and make changes, even though they may not be immediately fruitful, I think you know they can be used tactically in certain situations to kind of force yourself to make a change in a different way and, and adopt to different things. So uh, I, I do think that that is you know, something that shouldn't be overlooked too.
0: Yeah. So in 25 years of the Ravens, not counting the upcoming year, they've had seven coordinators, which is not bad, right? And of those coordinators, four of them left because they became head coaches. So Marvin Lewis left to be a uh, Bengals head coach for a while nolan left for san francisco and um rex ryan went to the jets and then uh truck pagato went to the colts so it's just like they were a factory with the only person greg madison very interesting guy he like literally was our defensive coordinator and that was it that's like that's like all he ever did at least <laughs> in the uh notes that i'm
1: seeing here so like, yep. i don't know where well, he went to from. um he went to college, college? After, yeah he okay. he so yeah. he accepted job as the defensive coordinator for uh University of Michigan, um which I, I totally knew and and am not just reading from Wikipedia right now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well
0: I, I was yeah I was looking into it, I was like, wow, he like appeared, did well, and then just disappeared <laughs> yeah,
1: I will say greg Madison uh, um you know the, the defense was good those two years, but definitely the the first guy. I, I think if you asked any Ravens fan to to list all the defensive coordinators that the Ravens had, Madison would be the last one. Like I forgot. 19 out of 20 yeah. would name. You know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remembered every single else one, but I was like Madison. I don't I go back and read about what happened there.
2: Yeah. His. I mean, yeah. I'm sure. You know. I'm sure people like Ken. I think would have a lot more opinions on this. I remember his schemes being a little. Um, I guess I don't know a little a little different I, but I guess um, definitely different styles from guys like Rex or Chuck Pagano um, I mean even Dean Pease but uh, you know plenty of people had issues with Dean Pease but he was just here for so long that it wasn't you know uh, wasn't as weird I guess yeah. to kind of name him but
1: yeah um, yeah during during yeah. the Flacco years uh 2008 and 2011 by far were the best defenses of that period so yeah <laughs>
2: yeah hands, hands down yeah
1: but i mean yeah you look at this list of of coaches like we're saying uh seven coaches before McDonald four of them left to take on nfl head coaching jobs Madison left to take on a a position at in college um and he's retired.
0: Fake retired.
1: <laughs> Fake retired. Um, yeah. As far as we know, he wasn't fired, although the Ravens may have said that they were going to fire him and then he retired. I don't... So that, that one maybe has an asterisk there. Um, but Wink, you know... Wink, I think... I don't think we can say Wink was fired. That was a mutual agreement on the two parties. And, you know, his performance really didn't necessitate firing. It was just that, like we're saying, the personnel... Um, and the direction the Ravens want to go didn't quite fit what Wink wanted to do. And the Ravens gave him an ultimatum, you know, would you rather change your style a bit? I'm speculating a little bit here. We don't really know, but from what everything we know, it sounds like the Ravens said, do you want to, you know, change some of what you're doing to fit what we're going with? Or do you want an opportunity to go somewhere else and and do your thing? And he chose the latter. Um, So, you know, especially looking, if we compare with, um, what the Ravens have done with offensive coordinator, and I think we'll end this episode discussing this a bit too. Um, where there's plenty of firings, uh, no continuity of, of of a clean hand handle of the baton. Um, it, it's it's really impressive what they've been able to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's I think thinking about it, it's it, there's there's a really I think there's like a really fine line, especially on defense. I think of like. Um, you know, kind of letting your coaches sort of like do what they want to do, and saying that they have kind of free reign to do that, versus you know, like it's 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 like an align it's like an alignment issue, right? It's like you know, if if the head coach and the organization and you know the coordinator are sort of in agreement of where they like where their visions are for the defense, then I think that you have I think that the coordinator should have more leeway to be able to do what they want to do even if the results are not necessarily there but you know too often as fans and I mean you know I'm not infallible of this either like it can be you know when the results aren't there it can be really easy to say like oh this guy sucks like it's not going well There, I mean there can be many reasons for why you know you know, a team is not performing the way it is. Level of competition, you know, um, it just you know, teams are working for it, but you know, they have you know, they need a lot of seasoning uh, to be able to kind of overcome the stuff, whatever it is, right? There's a lot of reasons for why a team may not be, you know, playing at the level that they could be, but you know, you, you like like I said earlier, like you want you want people to be able to be in an environment where they can be challenged and grow and build towards something greater but you also have to know like okay we like we just don't have we just don't have the guys right there there's like a you know when you when do you have what do you cut off that level of trust and just say like okay we got to make a change and i think you know it's it, for Ravens fans, like it's, it, it, I mean, we're talking, we're having this episode because it's a good thing that the that they've had such good continuity on the defensive side. But, you know, I'm, I, I know, like during the season, sometimes it could be awful, and people are like, "Why is Harbaugh still holding on to this guy? Why are they still doing this?" <laughs> and it just, it, that's like, if you want to have continuity and you want to have this culture of of doing that, like you can't just be firing guys left and right. You can't just be letting guys go because when you start to do that, now you're telling, now you're, you know. You're not letting people be themselves. You're not building this, you know, organization where people feel comfortable to be able to do things. And I think that's, if you do that too much, I think that erodes
1: the culture. Yeah, and you become the Cleveland Browns. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. And then you have an anti culture. <laughs> I was actually going to bring this up earlier, Peter, of sometimes you have teams that have a bad culture, and it takes a lot of effort to be able to overcome that and change it around. And yeah. you know, even even you know, again, like the Browns for like maybe the last like three years like they looked like they were on the trajectory and then after that no like they're right back to where yep. they were if not
1: worse <laughs> I, I do not envy Browns fans right now uh, who knows if this gamble will actually pay off for them but tangent I guess <laughs> but yeah um,
0: there's almost no way it does like I, I really don't see how it happens
2: yeah. I have a screenshot from our Discord by the way. That's like oh, yeah? Peter was like, "Well, maybe the Browns might turn it around." And I'm like, "Nah, it's the Browns. They won't, they'll never do it." So I have it for like <laughs> He five, has receipts. You know, 5 years down or whatever. <laughs> see.
1: I still have my receipt in Discord that that Deshaun Watson is, days of playing in the NFL are done. We'll see. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're on the right track. So Very interesting. I tell you, man, we are we are definitely lucky. We always feel like we're spoiled. By being Ravens fans. And this defensive culture is definitely a big part of it, right? Like they say defense wins championships and uh I don't think they're too far from wrong. Like it's uh it's really powerful what a good defense can do. It can change the way you play offense, just like a good offense can change the way you play defense, but it's uh just it's just really cool how they've been able to perform at such a high level for so long. I think we're all optimistic that it will continue.
1: Definitely, yeah. And yeah, you know, it's it's a great point you bring up. Um, this league is all about offense right now, um, obviously, but defense still has a huge part in the game. Uh, just look at the last two Super Bowls. Look at uh, how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to use their defense to just neutralize the prolific offense of the Chiefs. Um, and this past uh, Super Bowl, the second-half adjustments the Rams made to take advantage of the – the weak offensive line that the Bengals had, uh, which allowed them to buy enough time to get that uh, go-ahead score, you know? Um, And as much as the Ravens do need to find an offensive identity in the playoffs uh, that they've lacked the past couple times they've been there, you throw out the Tennessee game, uh, three of the past four playoff games the Ravens have been in, the defense dominated. The defense dominated against the Chargers in 2018, uh, and then in 2020, uh, just shut Derrick Henry down and um, neutralize the Bills off- offense. So as much as, as you know, fans rightfully point out, okay, yes, the Ravens did struggle offensively in the playoffs the past couple times. They've still got their, de- their playoff defense, uh, even without these players that were part of the foundation of this culture. So, you know, it, we got to look at the negatives to see what has to be fixed, but we can't overlook the positives that are still here. So, while we're talking about the defense, we're talking about how, you know, Ray Lewis and and the players who played with him um, were the foundation for this culture that has um, been able to continue even after Ray has retired. The Ravens, it's been a... They've really have had not had an identity on offense. I guess we could say running the football, maybe, um, yeah. <laughs> but... We've seen that that hasn't led to you know year in and year out success. Some years it's, their offense is really good, other years not. But since Lamar Jackson has been here, we've definitely seen an uptick in this offense, a consistency in at least sco- points scored per game that we really have not seen from the Ravens at all in their entire franchise history. Um, could Lamar Jackson uh, be the start of the Ravens uh, getting an offensive culture for once? You know we've only seen four years of it so far three and a half i guess you could say since he missed the back half of 2021 but um are we seeing the signs of the beginning of a ravens offensive culture that will extend post uh, lamar jackson's playing days
2: i feel like for me it's a little unclear um it could sef- it could definitely happen but i mean like, like we said earlier too right it, it you know even though we kind of like to think that ray was kind of like the change the that could have sort of changed everything um it was just one person it was the amalgamation of the right players right coaches and uh people having the right mindset that like they knew that they had something special and they like worked toward it and they you know and they they got there not just that they worked for it but they got there uh, they kind of realized their full potential i feel like lamar has not realized his full potential yet and it's not because of Lamar itself right it, it's the you know it's the whole group as an of, you know you know maybe we haven't had you know we've had pieces here and there um obviously 2019 was was close um I think we had you know I think we had a good group of like Lamar was still young Yanda you had some of the old guys like Yanda who you know sort of you know trying to you know instill that sort of excellence that he would bring to his play day in and day out um I feel like we I feel like we just don't have the right mix of people on offense yet to kind of instill that culture. I think it's just sort of it's pockets and you know, Lamar being the big one, Mark Andrews, uh, we're hoping, you know, Bateman and, and some other guys, you know, Ronnie Stanley coming back is, you know, will also sort of be that. But um I think yeah, I, I think I just haven't seen that sort of like continued excellence from like a core of players. I think we've just had a lot of turnover or just like, you know, periods of mediocrity and things like that. Um, Especially, you know, and I think the other big things too, is the people will point out, it's just like not a whole lot of playoff success. And again, that's not the blame of any one person, but it's just sort of like, you know, we haven't just hit, we haven't hit that standard of excellence yet.
0: Chris, I agree with you. I think that, uh, I think they will not establish an offensive culture um and maybe it's a hot take i don't really know if anyone has an offensive culture maybe the closest you could say is green bay with their gunslingers i i just don't know i feel like offense is so heavily dictated by the personnel that you have and not to say that defense isn't but just the way that offenses kind of shift towards like the star players and and there are skills and such I don't know it's like really hard to say that and also you look at Lamar Jackson who feels like a generational talent sure there may be more rushing quarterbacks in the league and by the time he's ready to hang up the cleats there'll be an up their option for them to bring in someone like that I don't know if that's a a culture per se like on defense it's almost the intimidation factor it's the we don't want to play those guys factor offenses seldom do that unless they're like maybe a really hard-nosed running team that just like bulldozes you you know they're just like they have a swagger of scoring points it's just a little different right like defense is like where true domination can be other than maybe like offensive line play like i feel like culture would be like offensive line play and running it's really hard to find a culture of of passing almost and i think it's because of the intimidation it's a it's a moxie it's like a it's a it's a next level like thing that uh isn't so much the playing it's almost like the yeah, the swagger, I guess.
2: It's also heavily dependent too on, you know, quarterback play, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you kind of said it with like Green Green Bay, I think that's actually a great example. That's like it's very close because they've been really fortunate to have a lot of really good quarterbacks. So yeah, they've had a little bit of that continuity. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there were uh you know, there were periods like the Ravens defense, right, where there were a few down years, right? But Overall, like at the macro level, there's pretty high consistency from that. But yeah, like if 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 you're you know, if you're another defense kind of lining up against an offense and you know, you're like, you know, oh, we have to play the Ravens this week. Um, I think you're right, Alec. Yeah, it's like, you know, if 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 you know the defense is planning for all eleven players on offense, right? Not just the quarterback. And so, yeah, when you have it's you really think about you know offensive line play and you know blocking and you know running backs and you yeah i feel like you think of that because that sort of that lasts beyond the quarterback where you know quarterback if you get an injury you don't like the the level of difference of play is like completely shifted and unless you are really really good at drafting quarterbacks not just qb1s but you know your backups that are really really good it's really hard to keep that level of excellence up.
1: Yeah, I think you guys bring up great points. It is really dependent on the quarterback when it comes to a passing identity. Um, Packers are a great example that you guys brought up. Um, I think the Colts are, are an even better example because you look, you had the the baton handoff between Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, um, and that passing offense didn't miss a beat. And then once Andrew Luck uh, was forced to retirement because of injuries, then the Colts are no longer, you know... Uh, a passing team. <laughs> I no, think. I mean, now they've had yeah. three quarterbacks in
2: three years, right? Yeah. I mean, so you, yeah. we can
1: say, you know, the Ravens offensive identity is, you know, strong power running um, that's been their moxie uh, since the Jamal Lewis days. And, you know, it's been very good rushing attack. It I, I don't think it's had the same consistency as the defense. And then it, it's kind of hard to say if, if it's reached the heights of the best years of the Ravens defense, obviously 2003 with Jamal's, um, uh, 2000 yard season. Um, but yeah, I, 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 agree with what you guys are saying. It's a lot harder to define what an offensive culture is than a defensive, but you know, we'll just, we'll just have to see. We'll see what we're saying to this question in a decade from now. Nice. Well, this episode was a lot of fun
2: guys. Uh, I really appreciate this one. Um, I think we came up with a lot of good stuff here and, uh, the- you know, reminiscing about the, the culture that we have here and, you know, hell, man, just being blessed every Sunday to be able to watch the Ravens and, uh, you know, be able to, to to kind of build up on all this stuff. It's, it's a great great source of pride, I think, for a lot of uh, Baltimore Ravens fans out there. But uh, that's about going to wrap us up for this episode. Um, you guys can follow us, uh, if you're not already, at on Twitter at, at OneWinningPod. Uh, you can email us at OneWinningPod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'll be coming back uh, probably next week, I think, with our next episode. Uh, take a look out for that, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: We must protect this house. I will. Whoa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always think about.